Good evening. It's good to be with you today. Um, just want to give a very uh, big thank you to Pastor Tim, and uh, just want to thank you for your friendship, uh, getting to know you uh, over the course of a year, and also want to thank the leadership of your church for the opportunity to be a part of this Bible conference. Uh, I'm very encouraged to hear of the good things. We met the last time we met at the coffee shop and talked about uh, how the church is doing and just talking about ministry, how our churches are doing, uh, to hear of the good things that the Lord is doing uh, here, both in you and through you uh, at First Baptist Independence. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Uh, I also want to thank my extended family who are here also and friends uh, who have come to join us in fellowship tonight. Uh, when I first met Brother Tim, uh, I, w- I actually wanted to say I wasn't expecting to see a Twin Tower. So, uh, so to see another tall preacher, and so I'm actually thinking now maybe I'm going to put together a basketball team, and he's going to be on that team, you know. So, so I'm very, uh, very excited to just see a fellow brother in the Lord doing well in ministry. The theme for this conference is a timely theme. Uh, because the church has always faced a dual threat to its existence. The church throughout history from its inception has faced an external threat and an internal threat. The external, the external threat is evident to all of us considering the cultural backdrop against which we as Christians in America are trying to live out our faith. We have to contend with all the cultural ideas that are being perpetrated, strange philosophies and ideologies that are being uh, propounded out there in culture. We have to contend with the external threat of a sweeping moral revolution taking place as America increasingly, if your spiritual antenna is honing in on what is happening, we are constantly and increasingly, it appears, rejecting truth and embracing postmodernism, which is a real threat to a biblical worldview and actually is a threat to the church. Uh, I was reading a book uh, titled God is, He is Not Silent, referencing the He is God, is not silent. And here's what in Uh, The chapter here, uh, Stranger Than It Used To Be, referencing postmodernism. Here the author says, Though the nature of truth has been debated throughout the centuries, postmodernism has turned this debate on its head. While most arguments throughout history have focused on rival claims to truth, postmodernism rejects the very notion of truth as fixed, universal, objective, or absolute. Now, in a nutshell, what he's trying to say is this. Uh, Prior to now, we all agreed about what truth is. And so we kind of argued our case based on that mutual understanding that there is an objective truth that guides and governs all of us. But postmodernism has come and it turns everything on its head because it rejects the very notion of truth as fixed. So truth is now relative. Your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth. And you hear people today constantly on TV now talk about 
I want to live, and there goes my truth. And what that does is to elevate personal autonomy over divine sovereignty. So postmodernism rejects truth as fixed, rejects it as universal, rejects it as objective, rejects it as absolute. So you can understand when we say absolute, one of the things that we talk about is that this is absolute. And so when you have culture, philosophy, ideology coming and saying there is no absolute truth, it is a threat. And so this we contend with in the greater culture. But we also contend with an internal threat. We need to be mindful of internal threats to the church caused by those who water down doctrinal truth or who altogether have abandoned truth to suit their desires. It won't take you long for you to read through the Pauline epistles to find out that Paul is addressing these issues constantly. And so today we see within the church folks who are watering down truth, those who are abandoning truth, but still wear the cloak of Christian. It is one thing to be overrun by an external threat. It is quite another to implode from within. But I thank God that God has not left us without help. Praise be to God that in his mercy and wisdom, he has not only warned of the threat within, but he has also provided the means by which we are to overcome it through the victory that is given us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. We are told to contend for the faith because we fight from a position of strength and not weakness. We fight from a position of strength and victory in Christ. We are exhorted to speak and not be silent. We are commanded to contend for the truth. It is not because we want to be activists. It is not because we want to be rabble-rousers. It is not because we want to upset the church. It is not because we are trying to be some kind of spiritual warriors. It is not because we just want to rule the church. And it is definitely not because we want to virtue signal. So today I want to speak on this topic, contending for the faith. So let us ask God to bless this time. Father, we are asking by your grace that you would mercifully take a broken vessel and use it for your glory. Proclaim your word. Let it go forth in the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit. That all who hear today who hear the words coming out of my mouth, may not hear the words of a man. May they hear the word of God as the Spirit of God takes the truth of God and applies it to our hearts. May you give us clarity of understanding. May you open the minds of our hearts to understand. May you Help us to comprehend the great and eternal truths in your word. But most importantly, help us to obey the spirit as he speaks to us and convicts us concerning what we are to do. 
For you take no pleasure in those who offer sacrifices, but your soul delights in those who obey you. For to obey is better than sacrifice. So, Lord, bless the gathering of your people today as we immerse ourselves in your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Amen. So we're going to read out of Jude, the book of Jude. There's only one chapter. So if you're scrolling and you're looking for Jude chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, I just meant to say only verses 1 to 4, and some of you would have said, what chapter? But uh, Marvin was at the door today, and uh, he told me, I think it was Marvin, and uh, he said, uh, yeah, I think there are only, uh, there's only one chapter there, four verses. I said, you're right, brother. <laughs> four verses. Jude, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we concern ourselves about contending for the faith, there are a few things that Jude wants us to know. The first thing here is that we are contending for the faith from a position of strength. Now, I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, I used to get into fights. The unsanctified me then. Have you ever been in a fight, though, where you knew you were going to win the fight? Didn't that make you eager to get ready after school to step out into that parking lot? Because you knew you got victory already predetermined with whoever your foe is. You go with confidence without fear. There is a boldness that accompanies you when you go into that arena. Or professionally. You're about to take an exam, a certification. You get a diploma and you've studied so well that you are sure as you step into it, there is nothing because of your encyclopedic knowledge that these people are going to put out there that you are not going to slaughter. You go into that exam with confidence. That is exactly what Jude does in his opening letter. Jude opens and ends his letter with very comforting words to us as Christians, as we contend for the faith. Let's look at a few things that he says in his introduction, because the introduction sometimes we look at it as just a mere salutation, and then we gloss over it very quickly. But I believe that it has implications for us to build us up that we are coming from a position of strength. The first thing I want us to see is this, that we belong to Christ. In verse 1, Jude introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, that would mean nothing whatsoever. 
Because today the word slave or servant or in the Greek doulos has negative connotations and conjures up painful aspects of our history as a nation. And so many of us would want to shy away from that or quickly just read over that and let's get onto something better and nicer. But when Jude uses these, this word, slave or servant, it means bond servant in some of your translations. And it means someone who's willing or has decided to stay with his master out of love for him as his master provides everything that he needs for himself and his family. So even back then, so when we read slave, we, we construe it as just this slavish thing where, where, where it, it is people are put in, in a condition and mistreated and, 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 and they are under the thumbprint of a vicious master. But going back to the first century, there, there were those who were slaves that willingly served a master who loved them, who provided for them. And so they gave up their right to be somewhere else because they have this shared bond of love with their master. And he was their benevolent provider. So when Paul uses doulas in the Greek, that's what he's referring to. Not this slavish uh, uh, relationship, but it's, it's one where God is recognized as the benevolent father over him. And Paul is willingly giving up his rights to be anywhere else but with him. So Jude says... I also, as a follower of Jesus, am a servant of this Jesus Christ. I belong to him. You see, when we, when we get saved, all of us, without exception, there's no one of us. When we get saved, without exception, we were all slaves at one point. And Paul says, and I, and I know minds are realized, like, I've never been a slave. Nobody's got me in chains before. Nobody's ever done anything to me. But Paul says... Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So all of us have been slaves to sin. So before getting saved, when, when we get saved, all of us without exception who were slaves to sin at one point, now at the point of trusting in Christ, become slaves to God. Our slave status has not been lost. It has only been transferred from a master who is the devil to now a master who is Christ and benevolent and loves us. And loves us to the point that he gave his life for us. So Apostle Paul uses that same title, servant, doulos, bondservant, in three of his books, in the book of Romans, in the book of Philippians, and the book of Titus. So this is not something that Jude is just concocting. It is a badge of honor to have God become our master. That God is now saying, I will be totally responsible for your life. I am going to care for you. I am going to care for your spouse. I am going to care for your children. Everything about your welfare, I will be responsible for it. And because we are servants of Christ and belong to him, God is now responsible for all, every, the things that you think are very little, the minutia in your life, God is responsible for that. So Jude says, I, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, I belong to him. That's important. As we think about contending for the faith, whose you are matters. Because it's not going to be easy to contend for the faith. You need a sovereign savior. 
somebody greater than you to stand with you in the fight. But Jude does not only say that we belong to Christ. He says we are called, loved, and kept by God. He uses that in that same verse. He says we are called, we are loved, and kept by God. These words should be very comforting to all of us because they are all passive verbs. That means that whenever in the Greek they use a passive verb, it means something that happened to you, not something that you did or accomplished on your own. So when, 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 when Jude now says that we are called, we are loved, and we are kept by God, he's indicating to us and telling us that it is God who calls us. It is God who loves us. And it is God who will keep us. It's all on him. Knowing that the all-powerful, all-knowing, and always-present God is overseeing your life should give you confidence and boldness and courage and great peace. Jude is eager to begin by telling us, look, God has got you. This fight is not yours. In the sense that you are all on your own and you have to muster your strength. It says, look, this fight is not yours. I've got you. I am with you as you contend for the faith. It doesn't matter what is happening around the world. When you step out to confront the external threats in the culture, you are not on your own. God says, I am with you. And when you see the threats within the church, and you are standing up for what is true and what is right and what is godly, he gives you the same assurance and he says, I am with you. You are not on your own. Even as he closes out this short letter, Jude in verse 24, in the, 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 Jude, Jude writes out in verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God, our Savior be glory. He closes out the letter that way. He says, There is someone who is able to keep you from falling. And he will preserve you and present you on the day of Jesus Christ, blameless in the presence of his glory. So hear, hear Jude say to us, we are contending for the faith, not from a position of weakness, but from a position of strength. Let me ask you as believers, do you see yourself as being in a position of strength? and power, and victory? Or do you see yourself in a position of weakness where you need to cower, where you need to fear, where you need to be ashamed of the truths, the eternal truths of the word of God? Jude says we belong to Christ. Jude says you are called, you are loved, and you are kept by God. Who is able to touch you? Who is able to harm you without the permission of the sovereign God? Read the scriptures that the people of God from of old in the Old Testament and even into the new. That when God has his hands on people, ordinary men, great men, kings and authorities and governments try to harm God's people. And we read of these stories of great and powerful, amazing deliverance. Because God is with them. 
Time will not permit me to go into all the stories to recount from the Old Testament into the New. That he who says you belong to him stands with you. The next thing Jude wants us to see is not only that we are contending for the faith from a position of strength, but that we must be faithful to contend for the faith. After giving reassurance that God has our backs and that we are fighting from a position of strength, Jude now says, there's a danger. He was talking to the church then. He says, look, there is a danger in the church. And he says, fight. Now, there's always been the possibility of a dual threat to the church, as I said earlier, from outside and from within. Jude says, there is one in your church. Now, I don't know First Baptist Independence very well, but I'm getting to know Pastor Tim. And I, I want to believe that there is no such threat in the church. But if there is, the Bible says the faithful must contend. Now I know we want to respect our pastors. We, we, we want to respect a set order of things. And that goes for my church. Sometimes pastors become demigods. And so things get done only the way the pastor wants it to get done. And when the pastor starts to slowly drift away from the anchoring sound, eternal biblical principles of God's word, faithful followers of Jesus who will begin to discern what is happening are afraid to step up because they feel outnumbered. They feel powerless. Jude says to us, do not be afraid. Contend for the faith. In verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, being very eager to write to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you, to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. He's saying, in other words, the assured victory of the believing church does not mean that we don't have to fight to win. Just because you're coming from a position of strength doesn't mean you don't fight. America has the greatest military in the whole world. But if we were to go up against a ragtag bunch of Talibans, if you've been following the news, we would easily wipe them off the face of this planet. But just because we are strong does not mean the commander comes and says, oh, well, we are the strongest army in the world, so everybody leave their guns. We are America, so we're going to roll in there. They're going to take us out. Even though you are the most powerful, you've got to go in with your guns blazing to still fight to win. Positionally, you're stronger. But actually, on the battlefield, you do need to fight to bring the positional and potential victory that you have to reality on the battleground. That is what Jude is saying. 
Spiritually, in Christ, we are all victorious. The Bible declares we are more than conquerors through Christ. And that stands as an eternal truth. We have victory in Jesus. But in reality, in time, as we live our lives out, we still need to fight on the battleground to win. To bring that which is spiritual into time. Bring that which is spiritual into the physical. So even within the church, we need to contend for the faith. So there are implications when Jude says, believer, fight. And here's the implication. Each and every one of you that has been saved, if you've ever heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and trusted in Christ for salvation, you have been commissioned to be a contender for the faith. Nobody gets to escape that. You don't get to escape it on the basis of your personality. You don't say, I'm a non-confrontational person. I just kind of like to observe. I'm just a, very, I'm a peacemaker. I've got the, the gift of peacemaking. You don't get by on that. You don't say, oh, like I'm not a rabble rouser. I don't like to make trouble. You don't get by based on personality. It is based on your spiritual status. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you automatically now have become drafted to become a contender for the faith. The question is for us tonight, do you recognize that that's you? But what is this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints that we need to even contend for? Because you've heard us talking about it in the last few days here, and some of us may be wondering, well, what, what is this faith once for all delivered to the saints? The word faith just simply means, when it, it's, it's an it's a encapsulated, a shortened form, this pregnant word that just means that all the truths we believe about Jesus, all the truths, the truths of God's word. So he says, so you want to talk about the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Here's the word of God. But when we speak specifically about Christ and the gospel, what are those truths that were deliver, uh, delivered to us? We believe, that here, here are the truths. We believe that Jesus is the God-man. That Jesus was not just God, he was not just man, he was God-man. Who in his incarnation was born of a virgin. We believe those truths. We believe that he came in physical form and lived a perfect sinless life on earth. We believe that he was crucified on the cross for our sins. We believe that he bore our sins while on that cross. We believe that God judged him for all the sins of those who will come to trust in him. We believe that he died a literal physical death on the cross. We believe that God on the third day raised him from the dead with great power. We believe that he's now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and we believe that he's coming again. These truths are essential to Christianity. So when we say the faith once for all delivered to the saints, we're talking about these great truths. Are you a contender for these truths? Are you bold and courageous 
Do you proclaim? Do you believe? Do you talk about? Do you tell others about these great truths? Or do we shy away? Are we fearful? Are we ashamed of these truths? You see, if we leave out any of these truths, it's going to cause great damage and harm. Because to take any of these out concerning Christ is to present a distorted Christ that is not of Scripture. To say particularly that Christ is not God-man is the most damaging extraction that you could do in terms of presenting the gospel to anyone. For Christ, short of being God, Christ, short of being man, then completely undercuts salvation. To present a Jesus that is a good teacher, a good man, a holy man, a righteous man, without him being God, would be to damn somebody's soul to hell. To make him just God and not man, who came and took our place so that he could be a substitution for us on that cross. To present such a Christ in the gospel to someone is to damn a soul. Christ needs to be both God and man for salvation. There is teaching and there are truths that are eternal, that are rooted, grounded, unchangeable, that we must preserve. Jude says, contend for these truths. No matter what is happening outside in culture, no matter what is happening within the church, no matter how technologically advanced we become, no matter how economically prosperous we are, contend for these truths. They cannot change, must not change. Do you stand for these truths? Jude says this truth were delivered once for all. It's easy to gloss over that phrase also, once for all. Here we are, 2,000 years plus, after the faith was first delivered to the church, and we are surrounded by a lot of people who feel like they are now intellectually and spiritually capable to alter eternal truths. They got smarts. They got, they, they're smart. They've they gone to school and college. They've got diplomas to show for it. They've gone to cemeteries. <laughs> and so they feel they are now authorities in the word of God. So we can, we can rewrite this. This is the 21st century, and, and we are smart people. The, the society around us has evolved. The church has evolved. You hear that word being used a lot these days, I'm evolving. So they want the church to evolve. So they now start writing, trying to adjust, change, alter, modify, improve the word of God. Upgrade. That's a word we all know. 
But notice very carefully, Jude says, these truths were once for all delivered. What does he mean? He says, what God has written is absolute. What God has written is unchanging. And through time and unto eternity, these truths stand forever. Except God changes, these truths will never change. And the Bible says God will never change. That is why we call him immutable God, unchanging God. So our doctrinal content, when God took this Bible, put it together, this faith, once for all delivered, the truth was given to us. And the mind of God, as 1 Corinthians talks about, it was now complete and given to us. No one can add to or take away from this truth. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul writes and he says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Anyone who comes along and says otherwise, that this is not, that person is against scripture. That person is anti-God. We could even use the term anti-Christ. Because that word means against Christ. Christ will never be against his own word. So anyone who rises... Any man, any woman, rich or poor, smart, pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher who rises and says, this is not what it is anymore. We need to change some things, to believe some things different, and to upgrade God's word. That is a person who in the little anti-Christ within the body. The reason we have a Bible is that God wants us to know. 1 Corinthians says, the mind of Christ. God has not left us to make it up as we go. There are a lot of religions out there where they are making it up as they go. They keep modifying and adding to it. Christianity for 2,000 years plus and counting is not changing. Now, people have come in times of history, and they have tried to change things. They have come, but guess what? They're all dead and gone now, and it hasn't changed. And anybody who wants to come along in the 21st century and try to make that change will do exactly the same. They will one day drop dead, and they'll be gone, and this will still stand. Jude says, we must be watchful for the threat from within. Not only should we be confident that we are fighting from a position of strength, not only must we be faithful to contend for the faith, but thirdly, we must be watchful for the threat from within. Jesus said this so well. A house divided against itself will not stand. I've been married 12 plus years now. And I know, and I understand this principle. The way people say If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy in the house. (laughs) And that is a sure path to that house disintegrating. If I don't love my wife well, if I don't get along with my wife, I am giving the devil an opportunity to implode my marriage, but not only my marriage, but my whole household. 
when the church is divided against itself, when Christians are not standing upon the truth of God's word, we will implode from within. If we're not holding on to the eternal truths of God's word, we will implode from within. And this principle is true of both secular and spiritual institutions. The worst enemies of Christian doctrine are professing Christians who don't hold to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We talk about enemies of the cross. Do you know you can wear the bad Christian and also be an enemy of the cross? When internally within the body you are not holding on to this faith once for all delivered to the saints. And this is not a new thing. It's not, it's not starting today in the 21st century. We're seeing it taking a, a whole different dimension and sweeping revolution that's taking place in our country. But the Apostle Paul, in his message to the pastors of the church in Ephesus, wrote these things too. He said in, in Acts 20, he says, look, fierce wolves are coming among you. They will not spare the flock. And from among our own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. The wolves will pervert the faith. So he says, contend for the faith. So the threats to the faith could come from people who are inside, not outside. The question for us tonight is, is your spiritual antenna cleaned up enough And I'm not just saying you got good ears. I'm talking about, are you honing? Is the word of God really shaping, molding, sanctifying? Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. Are you growing in sanctification so that when you see things that are not sanctified, that are not holy, that are not hagias, Greek, set apart, Unto God. Does your spiritual antenna just go, whoa, 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 whoa? That's not right. I can see something that's not right. That your spiritual antenna, antennas begin to, the red flag starts to wave and the red light starts to go off. The alarm and the sirens start to go off. And you say, this is not right. And you go back to the word of God and you begin to search and you begin to examine and you begin to discern those things. Now, I've got to say this, that I don't want anybody jumping out of here tomorrow and go attack Pastor Tim that because you didn't have mashed potatoes on Sunday after church, that that's contending for the faith, okay? Whenever you think something is off, the very first place you want to go is to the Word of God. It's to the Word of God. You've got to screen whatever it is. All of us are susceptible to failure. So you want to make sure that you're discerning correctly. Whatever you think is happening in the church, that may not be right. First of all, you've got to ask yourself, is this a gospel conviction matter? Run it by God's word. Is it something I should contend for? And if you are convinced that based on what you have observed and based on what the word of God says that you do have a case that something is really there, then please get counsel. The Bible says there's wisdom when there are many counselors. 
Do you get wisdom from others and say, look, I saw this thing. Here's what I'm seeing happening in our church. And, and can you help me discern this through the word of God? I'm not talking about a gossip column now. now I'm not talking about that prayer meeting where you come. We want to pray. So you, it is a channel for gossip. No, I'm talking about getting somebody who you know is wise, somebody who you know knows the word of God to help you discern whether what you're seeing and discerning is actually true. And then when you discover that, then you now take that and you now seek out the right and appropriate authorities in order to address that. It doesn't become gossip for the whole church. You see, because the spirit of God is an orderly spirit. And the spirit of God works towards the unity of the spirit in the church of God. So, so, so Jude is clear to us here. It says contend for the faith. So here's the final encouragement as we close this evening. So what must we do? In verses 20 and 21, Jude writes, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The best thing we can do to become a church that is effective in contending for the faith is to become a church that is well built on the faith. What does that mean? Well, we said this, the faith, the big word, pregnant word, talking about all the truths that have been passed down, the word of God. The best thing we can do to contend for the faith is to be in this word. Because you've got to know it in order to discern when somebody's off course. You gotta know it in order to determine when the church is off course. You can't be ignorant about this word and then trying to discern the church. He says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. We must study the word of God. We must study the word of God to know it well. Let it penetrate our hearts. Let it convict us. Let it shape us. Let it mold us. Let it break us. And let it conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. We must meditate upon it. Just like Joshua and the psalmist says. In Joshua 1, he says, oh, that the word of God, to meditate upon it day and night, being careful to do what is written in it. Is that you? Are you meditating on the word of God? Are you reading the word of God? David says, oh, your word is so sweet. It is a delight to my soul. Is that you? There is so much wonderful truth about God that we need to learn. And if we're going to contend for the faith, then we need to know this word. The second thing Jude says here is that we need to pray. Prayer is the other means of grace that God has given us as an indispensable. Hear me say, it is indispensable. Church, hear me say it again. It is indispensable part of contending for the faith. We must pray in the spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You got to pray for yourself. 
You got to pray for your leaders. You got to pray for Pastor Team and the deacons. You got to pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, we have to pray. And how many decades of ministry now? One of the weakest points of the church is prayer. It is prayer. I have been in Tennessee, I have been in Kentucky, and now I'm in Ohio. Don't throw stones at me. But I have seen that one of the weakest points of the church is prayer. You tell people in the church to get together because we're going to have a potluck tomorrow after church. We got the highest attendance that Sunday. But we say we got a prayer meeting We midweek in the church. God help you if you don't hear crickets. Many a preacher have had their hearts discouraged when they've called the church together to pray. Jude says if we're going to contend for this faith, you're not going to do it in your power. And the way power comes is through spending time in God's holy presence. Pray in the spirit at all times with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. You see, the alertness is connected to being in the place of prayer. Because who's more alert, you or the spirit? It is the spirit that knows when people are off track. Because he can see it miles ahead before you get it. He can see and he can help you discern. It says persevere. And he says make supplication. It means bring requests on behalf of other people. The saints. That's you all. It's not some sinless person. Saint just simply means that you've been set apart. Blood bought, reconciled and washed in Jesus' blood. You're a saint. He says make supplication for them. Unless we seek the Lord to guide us in our understanding of his word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are not going to grow in our understanding of the faith, and we will be weak contenders for the faith. So in closing, remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. Servants, I can call you tonight. And you're not ashamed of that word. Servants of Jesus Christ. Servants of Jesus Christ. Doulas of Jesus Christ. Bond servants of Jesus Christ. Slaves of Jesus Christ. And we wear that badge with honor. You are called. You are beloved in the Father. With an eternal, never-ending love. Kept and preserved and secured for Jesus Christ. Be watchful over your own heart. Guard it against the secular worldviews that threaten to infiltrate it, while at the same time be discerning of others within the church and be bold in confronting error and godlessness wherever you see it, especially within the church. Speak the truth in love and never be ashamed of standing for the truth, both within and outside the church. Even if it puts you in the minority and subjects you to undue pressure 
and persecution. There is a cost and there is a price that we will have to pay. Someday, if you stand for the truth long enough, there will be a cost and there will be a price. And I'll be talking a little bit about that tomorrow. The cost of contending for the faith. So as I close, I ask you this question before we pray. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you contending for the faith? Or have you taken a back seat and chosen that you've got your card and you know you're going to heaven, so all you're just waiting for the train ride to come along? Either death comes first or Jesus comes first. You're just waiting for the train. Or are you active like one who has been commissioned into the army of Christ, who knows their identity in Jesus Christ, and they are standing strong upon the eternal truths of God's word, and you are in the battlefield until the train comes. Whether in life or in death, you are Christ's. Is that you? And if you're here this evening and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, your place is not to contend for truth. Your place is to submit to the truth. That Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. This Jesus we're talking about that is now at the right hand of the Father and is soon coming. You have an opportunity tonight to say And humble yourself to God to say that, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And that he sent, you sent, Father, your son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life on this earth. And that he lived a perfect life, went to that cross. And on that cross, Christ hung and all my sins were placed on him. And they were judged. Are you able to say that, Father, I believe? According to your word, that if I put my faith in your son, that I can have all my sins forgiven tonight, right here. That is why the Apostle Paul says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. But you got today while the breath is still in you. Will you trust in Christ today? The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, that you believe that God raised him from the dead, you confess that Christ is Lord, it says you will be saved. He will forgive all your sins, past, present, and future. And you say, you don't know how bad my sins were. Well, Jesus did not qualify the sins he died for on the cross. He just died for sins. No matter how bad, no matter how egregious, no matter how many. Jesus, when he died and shed that blood, he took all your sins and he accounted for them on that cross. When the Father judged Jesus, he judged him for all your sins. Good, bad, ugly. Whatever way you classify your sins, all of it is paid for. So there ain't no reason tonight why you should hold back and say, I can't come to Jesus tonight. To do that would be filled with pride. And to say there is a sin that Jesus' blood could not wipe away in your life. 
Let us pray. With our heads bowed and all of us going to God, if you're a believer, I don't know what God's saying to you and has said to you today. Contend for the faith. Are you contending? Or are you just that ticket-carrying Christian waiting for the train? I believe that God is speaking to me. God is speaking to all of us. We live in a world that is increasingly growing anti-God. And the temptation is for all of us to cower in fear. I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to be singled out. I don't want to be looked at as that loony Christian. But God says, you belong to me. The reputation you need to be concerned about is not one that is earthly, but one that is heavenly and spiritual. You're a servant of the Most High God. There is no greater title, no greater honor, no greater calling, no greater purpose in life than that. Believers, can we pray tonight and ask God to forgive us for failing to be true contenders for the faith? And could we ask God for the boldness, for the courage, for the strength, for the grace to be contenders for the faith, regardless of the cost? And if you're here, you haven't trusted in Jesus, as I said, even as we go to prayer, you can go to God, personally you, because God wants to hear from you and say to Jesus tonight and say, God, I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm hearing it tonight loud and clear. I'm a sinner. Oh, and this faith has been there. And tonight I hear it all loud and clear. That without you I am nothing. That your son Jesus Christ came. You sent him because of me. Because you loved me. And he went to that cross and he died for me. And I know that all my sins have been paid for at that cross. And God tonight, I want my sins to be forgiven. You promised in your word that if I believe in your son, Jesus, that you will wash away, you will cleanse, you will forgive. And not only that, you will also give me the righteousness of Jesus. So I get a twofold blessing, all my sins forgiven, and I get the perfect righteousness of Jesus credited to my spiritual bank account so that when you look at me, You don't see that sinful me. You don't see that rebellious me anymore. But you see the blood and the righteousness of Jesus covering me. I am set apart. I am your servant. Father, I want that. You can pray and ask God today for that. And the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that if anyone, and that's you, would believe in him today, You can have all your sins forgiven. 
and have life forever with God. Would you pray in this time, if that is you? And so, Father, thank you for securing us in Christ and giving us an advantaged position to fight from a position of strength and not weakness. Thank you for Jesus and all that Jesus means to us. He is our hope. He is our help. He is our salvation. He's our redemption. He's our justification. He's our regeneration. He's everything to us. Grant us the spiritual perception to know who we are in Christ. For there is a crisis of faith in many of us. There is an ignorance about who we are in Christ. Or at the very best, we have a distorted, a less than view of who we are in Christ. So help us, Father, to know who we are. And help us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Give us the discernment to detect threats without, but especially threats within. And the courage to confront them. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people say, Amen. God bless you.